0: And welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. It's your host, Jeff Shugarts, and this is the Stash It or Pass It podcast, your weekly report for everything crypto, cannabis, and culture. Crypto being our weather report, cannabis, the traffic report, and the anything goes culture report. Thank you so much for being here with me. And just to get us started off, I want to give another special shout out to the Wolf of Weed Street, Jason Spatafora. on our last episode. It was incredible. If you're in the cannabis stocks, cannabis curious, if you're a patient, whatever, you're going to want to go check out that episode. That was episode 19. And wow, was it a great one. And a special shout out to all our new listeners who uh, recently subscribed, who are now on this email list. If you want to go to stash or pass it.com and subscribe and get on that list and never miss a minute, you know, I would uh, really appreciate that, but uh, definitely recommend it. But this week, we're going to be running through the reports. We're going to talk about the Bitcoin bloodbath that's been going on just a little bit there. You know, is alt season, altcoin season ever going to come? And uh, I don't know. So we're going to dive into that a bit on the Weather report and on the traffic report, we're just going to give a little update on the Safe Banking Act and uh, you know how the Democrats took it out of the uh, NDAA. You know a lot of what we talked about last week with Jason, but just to give a little update there. And on the culture report, we're going to lean into uh, these robots, folks, because it's getting a little a little scary out there. But like we always say, we want to remain open, but uh, we definitely need to educate ourselves. So without further ado, buckle up and get ready, because I'm having an incredible hair day. I just wanted to throw that out there. You know, my mustache is looking a little under uh, undergroomed, but uh, I'm still loving it, folks. Just a nice little furry pillow for, uh, you know, my significant other to uh, lay her head on. So without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, buckle up, get ready. You know the drill. Mustache hat and welcome back folks here we are on the weather report and as promised we're going to dive into this bitcoin bloodbath if you will that's been going on and like we said last week when the asset went under a trillion dollars something that i really didn't expect to see but hey it's going to happen this is bitcoin this is going to be volatile as this thing continues to grow and it's going to be a choppy ride let me tell you that but Like I said, if you follow us on Instagram as well, you know I was talking about a few things that Jason shared with us in regards to his 80-20 rule, but uh, this isn't necessarily something that I would ever enact in Bitcoin. I'm not at that point yet. I'm still in an accumulation phase. I'm still stacking sats. Now, what are sats? We talk about this. Sats are satoshis. There are 100 million satoshis in one Bitcoin. And this week, it is official. Over ninety percent of all Bitcoin is mined. The remaining ten percent will be mined until twenty-one forty. Yes, I said that correctly. Twenty-one forty. Over one hundred years from now. So it just gives you an idea of how early we really are, and how much more this thing can really grow. And if you follow us on Instagram at stash or pass it you'll see that uh, I share many things about Bitcoin, different updates that come in, and really just the uh, entire crypto market as well. And uh, one of those is the Bitcoin Fear Index. And I think this is a very interesting thing to follow. And I like to look at it daily. You know, I get a little notification on my phone when it pops up on Twitter. But right now, for example, we have been in extreme fear for quite some time. And I just wanted to share a quote. Now, this was something I saw up there. It said, buy when there's blood in the streets. Even if the blood is your own. Now, that was a quote from Baron Rothschild. And, uh, you know, we also have uh, heard the quote, I'm sure you've seen it many times about Warren Buffett. And that is be fearful when people are greedy and be greedy when people are fearful. So take that as you will. Like we always say, this is not financial advice. This is just a journey, my friends. And we're just having a good time. Well, some of us might not be having uh, as good a time because it's volatile baby. and uh, that's the thing with a young asset with this market. when you really look at it, you know it's right under 300 or <laughs> it's right under three trillion right now. For example, gold by itself is 10 trillion. So with that small of a market even as big as it is, it's going to be very volatile and it's going to uh, it's going attract a lot of traders and uh, that's why we see that. We see that market going up and down. and that's why you got to be careful out there. You don't want to risk money that uh, maybe you don't have, or, uh, you know, we talk about this a lot where people are using leverage when they're trading. And then when these uh, leveraged moves get liquidated, you know, that's when uh, may set off some alg- algorithmic buys or algorithmic sells. And uh, that's when you see these large sell-offs go on. It may not always be people, but that being said too, that's where you got to hold. You got to hodl, baby. You got to huddle, baby. Hodl, baby. Hodl, baby. Hodl and waddle. You know, sometimes uh, you'll find me waddling all over the house because uh, you know I'm an old football player, blew my back out now and then, so uh, that's why we got to drink a lot of water and uh, we got to stretch because uh, you know Bitcoin's going to uh, Bitcoin's going to do that to you sometimes. And in other news, it relates to Bitcoin, maybe just a little bit, and that is the inflation that has now surged to six point eight percent, and that is the highest since 1982, but. I think this helped helped a little bit, right? If it would have been six point nine percent, we may have uh, confirmed the uh, simulation, but we kept it at six point eight percent. So, you know, maybe maybe we're not living in a simulation, folks. I'm just kidding. I think it's all real, right? Everything here is real. But that being said, I'm waiting for that uh, Elon Musk tweet that's going to come in to let everybody know that he bought four point two zero billion dollars worth of Bitcoin. <laughs> That'd be great, right? But uh, we'll see what happens because recently in the news, you know, we've seen uh, he's sold now about $10 billion worth of Tesla stock or so. You know, recently as uh, Wednesday or Thursday, he let everyone know that he was thinking about maybe quitting his job right after he got done selling $960 million worth of uh, Tesla stock. So we'll see what happens there. And we're going to talk about old Elon a little bit on the uh, culture report later in the show. But before we get there, just wanted to Run through this little bitcoin price tug of war that's going on, and that is really between 42k, 48k, 52k. I don't know if we're in a bear market, uh, I don't think we are. We'll see what happens. There's uh, you know, our friends over at Orca Capital. This is not financial advice, but our friend Jeff over there he put out some great information. If you want to go check him out on Twitter at Jeff Sickinger. And uh, we share that on our uh, story, too, on uh, Stash it or Pass It over uh, at Instagram. So if you want to check that out, some good stuff going on there as well. You know, he let us know, you know, Bitcoin just flashed a double buy signal on the market cipher indicator on the daily time frame. So he said the last time this happened, Bitcoin went up 130%. So we'll see what happens there, folks. You know, a lot of uh, there are definitely some you know, bearish signals going on. But that being said, too, when this market starts to go down or go sideways, that is when you need to lean in. That is when you need to learn, learn, learn. Now, when we started this show, Bitcoin was trading under $30,000 and it went all the way up to 69 Now, here we are right in that 48, 49 range. We'll see what happens. But again, I don't plan on selling. I'm hodling, I'm accumulating, and we'll see where that takes us. But again, folks, we're still early. We are very, very early. And just to share a little quote from Odell. Now, if you want to go follow a great account when it comes to Bitcoin and security, cold storage, a lot of incredible knowledge, check out Matt Odell. He is at O-D-E-L-L on Twitter. And uh, I just love this little take today. And it was, Bitcoin will be perceived as a risk asset by financial professionals until the day It is properly recognized as the asset. And then most will pretend that was always the case. Now, we see this all the time with financial analysts and people maybe on TV, things of that nature as well. And that is, they may be the biggest bears just trying to ram it down into the ground. And then two, three, four, five years later, they're the biggest bulls, the biggest fans trying to say, yeah, I told you so. I've I've been holding it the whole time. So do not be deceived. Sometimes the people paying their bills or writing their checks, they have an agenda and they have a narrative that they are paid to push and play. And uh, when it comes down to it, though, and in my opinion, you know, good leaders and great leaders, you know, they look to be challenged at times. They don't just want yes people around them. They want their ideas to be challenged. They want to lean in more and they want to learn new things. And then, if in that process, their mind is changed, they should be the first ones to stand up and let everybody know that they were wrong. And you're not going to see that a lot by people that have the biggest egos that use a lot of fear-driven tactics. But then in the end, if they are wrong, they won't actually admit that they were wrong. They'll just you know, recreate another narrative around it and try to use that to continue their you know, dominance or their power or whatnot. So just be mindful when you see different things out there and people like that. Uh, one person, for example, that you know I do respect a lot, and it's funny too because of his TV personality, and that is uh, Kevin O'Leary, Mr. Wonderful. He was a great investor, and he is somebody in the beginning that used to hate Bitcoin, talk bad about it, cryptocurrency, all that. Now you, know, you find him, he came out and he, he told everyone, as I learned more and I learned more and more about this, I realized I was wrong. And now he's one of the biggest promoters of it. He's one of the biggest advocates for it, and he uh, can really, you know, break it down for you. He can break down Bitcoin, DeFi, and some of these different projects that are going on. So again, just wanted to uh, share that with everyone. And uh, so, when you are out there, be mindful of where you're, what you're getting, what you're listening to. You know, like me, for example, I like to listen to a lot of things that I don't agree with because you know I want it to challenge my beliefs, and then that can either help me lean in more and strengthen my beliefs or try to put myself in someone else's position and see it from their angle, see it through their lens, try to hear it the same way they hear it and uh, learn more from a different angle. And uh, you know, in the end, if I'm wrong or I like what I hear, then I'm like, okay, maybe I should uh, rethink this. Maybe I should reanalyze this. And uh, there was another, there was another great uh, interview that I actually just listened to. And it was Will Clemente. He's uh, a great little young analyst that is on uh, Twitter if you ever want to follow him, you know, at Will Clemente, And uh, he interviewed Ed Yago, who's one of the contributors and founders of Sovereign. And uh, it was incredible because, you know, one of the things that they talked about was, you know, Bitcoin, you know, it was designed to be used by adversaries, right? So it was designed to be used by people that don't agree with each other. That is one of the strongest things about it. Just like money, money is used By people that don't agree with each other all the time. I mean, that's the whole point of it. And one of the things they discussed on there was you see this kind of tribalism at times with Bitcoin, Ethereum, different things like that. And uh, you know, I really I'm not a fan of how that works. Um, Definitely, Bitcoin is uh, seen by some to be more of this this far right agenda or things like that because you know there's definitely some libertarians and uh, you know that you know energy around it. And that just all comes down to individual sovereignty, self governance, things of that nature. And, uh, but that's where, you know, Bitcoin is a progressive tool. Bitcoin has many progressive tool cases, you know, different social justice initiatives and uh, can be very green for everybody. And that's, that's a thing that I want to continue to push, want to continue to discuss more. Cause like I've said, you know, one of my favorite young leaders out of Ohio, Morgan Harper, who's running for Senate, she has some incredible ideas around Bitcoin, its use cases and how it can help people and how it already has helped people, especially within the black and brown community, people that have been unbanked for years, people that have been discriminated against by banks. And that's one of the biggest use cases for Bitcoin is how it can help the unbanked save money, can own assets. And uh, you know, essentially, you know, when you have all your money in cash or you don't have it in a bank or you're not even investing it, you know, your money is losing value. You know, right now, for example, like we were talking about with inflation, 6.8%, you know, that is 6.8% less buying power than you had, you know, even a year ago. So, like $100 is worth $93. So, if you have that in a different kind of asset, a store of value, you know, over time, now I'm not saying you got to put all your money in there, but when you put your money into something like that, now you own that. Like that is yours. And uh, even when your money is in a bank, you don't necessarily own that money. Like you can't just take your money out or all your money out or, you can't use it on the weekends. You can't transfer money on the weekends. And if you are moving some money around, like say you, you know, have some family in another country and you want to send, send them some money, like you're going to get taxed on it and uh, different things like that. You're going to, Everyone's going to take their cut. Now, this is the same thing you may see in, uh, if you've ever lived in different neighborhoods or been around the block a little bit. You know, Me, for example, when I lived in the east side of Columbus or even the west side of Columbus, there's no banks. And uh, a lot of people are getting their paychecks Going to, you know, a convenience store basically, a store on the corner, cashing their check, and they're just getting, you know, 10, 20% taken out, and it's ridiculous. And uh, you know, Bitcoin is something that you know, can help be a tool for that and let people be control of their money, grow their money, own an asset, and uh, you know, really bring financial freedom, maybe not right now, right away, but generationally, this thing is going to change the world. And uh, I'm here for the ride, folks. So, and in other news, we wanted to share about the Solana blockchain that was just hit by a sophisticated DDoS attack by hackers. Now, we're going to get into this, folks. And I'm going to explain a little bit what a DDoS attack is. But right now, you know, we're seeing Solana is trading under $180 and, uh, you know, this attack has, uh, you know, really... You know, taking a nice chunk out of it. Now, me personally, I'm still holding my Solana, maybe plan on buying a little bit more on this dip. You know, don't necessarily have all the cash I want right now. So, you know, you got to be mindful of that. I can't just be spending money I don't have. But uh, just to uh, dive into this a little bit Solana's blockchain performance was reportedly hit by a distributed denial of services attack over the past 24 hours. However, the network appears to have remained online throughout all of it. A DDoS attack generally refers to a large number of coordinated devices or a botnet overwhelming a network with fake traffic to take it offline. This wouldn't be the first time Solana has suffered this issue with Coinogram reporting in September that the network suffered a 17-hour outage due to mass botting activity for an initial DEX offering, an IDO, on Solana's based centralized centralized exchange platform Radium. Now I remember when this originally happened, network went down, they overflowed it. And then uh, you know, everyone said Solana was dead, and then all of a sudden it took off and ran about another hundred dollars. So again, folks, this is crypto. Things are gonna happen. Now I'm not saying this isn't a bad thing or a red flag, because I'll tell you one thing: Bitcoin, this never happened to Bitcoin, and uh know. Uh, I don't think it ever will happen. So just to uh, look into this a little bit more, the latest DDoS attack was highlighted by Solana-based non-fungible token platform Block Asset on Thursday around 3 p.m. after it noted that, we are aware tokens are taking a long time to distribute. The Solana chain is being overloaded with DDoS attack, which have clogged the network, causing delays. Solana-focused infrastructure firm, Genesis Go also reported on the matter, stating that the validator network was experiencing issues with processing transaction requests, but it called for calm as it has attributed the problem to growing pains. Now, I don't necessarily like seeing that, but uh, we'll, we'll continue to uh, continue to read on down here. At this stage, the nature of the incident is unclear as the Solana Foundation is yet to publicly confirm Any attacks while status at Solana shows the network has not suffered any outages and is fully operational at the time of writing this article that I'm like going through right now. However, multiple attacks on Twitter asserted that Solana suffered a global outage, with Verabit CEO Roy Murphy stating that Solana crashed again and is currently offline. Engineers are looking into rebooting the system. Seriously, you can't make this up. Now he put that out publicly, and uh, you know he had no reason to try and necessarily attack Solana, but you know he's involved in it. And so, uh, according to data from CoinGecko, the price of Solana has dipped another 6.4 percent. You know since this happened uh, to about 182 dollars at the time I writing this article, it's uh, actually trading under 170 dollars. So you know this is a pretty serious hit. And uh, definitely not good for Solana now. Me, myself, you know, I've been holding Sol since about 25, dollars so I'm going to continue to uh, hold on to it. Uh, it's definitely something you want to uh, keep an eye on if you are holding Solana. You know, definitely uh, be careful out there, folks, because like we say, it's not financial advice, this is just friendly advice. We're just having a good time and going for a ride. I still am a believer in Solana, I think it's great. You know, it's connected to Sam Bankman-Fried, FTX, one of my favorite CEOs in this space. And uh, also, you know, Tom Brady is an equity stakeholder in FTX. You know, they are bridging the gap between sports, crypto, gaming. They're going to get into betting. And uh, again, we're just getting started, folks. So definitely a little bit of growing pains here. But, uh, you know, you just got to be careful how that is all stated, how that's reported on. You, know, you want to keep this thing, uh, keep this thing open. You want to be transparent. You know, I'd like to see the uh, the board come out, speak about this a bit. You know, I'd like to, you know, maybe even hear uh, hear from old uh, Mister Bankman-Fried himself. But uh, we'll see what comes in the next few days. You know, I'm sure this thing's going to get cleaned up, and uh, we'll probably go for another little rocket ride. So we'll uh, keep following it, folks, and stash uh... it. <laughs> and i'm still keeping my fingers crossed for the old altcoin season that uh, everyone likes to talk about at this time of the year and you know it is december 11th 4:20 p.m. as i sit here and go through this little portfolio but one thing that's great about using voyager is when you start to accumulate and you start to stack you're going to get a yield for different assets that you hold in there for example you know bitcoin you get about 6% uh, Ethereum is right around that five point five six percent, and uh, over time, as you build those rewards, I like to use those rewards. I will send them out of Ethereum and send them into, you know, maybe Uniswap or you know another DeFi protocol where I can go ahead and pull a little lever, right? Pull that uh, that crypto lever and you know see what happens. Now I'm not necessarily doing that with any of my original investment or doing that with you know, money I don't have, but this is, uh, this is using, you know, money that passive income that I made from holding my assets, you know, on a platform like Voyager. So what we were able to do was with, uh, the Ethereum that we had been accumulating, you know, we made a lot on the, uh, those yields monthly. And, uh, you know, we've been doing that for over a year now, and we were able to send some of that Ethereum out. We sent it over to Uniswap and, uh, you know, with some of those conversations we had with our friend Brandon Boyd. And uh, we talked about a lot of the metaverse tokens. We talked a lot about Luna. We talked a lot about sand, Decentraland. And, uh, you know, those have taken a nice, healthy uh, pullback as well. And uh, we've been buying those dips. But uh, we've also pulled the uh, little slot machine lever a little bit, too. And uh, we went ahead and bought a lot of UFO. And uh, when I say that, I'm going to say about 12 million, maybe 13 million UFO coins. Um, You know, so, hey. If that thing uh, goes up to just a couple cents, hey, we're gonna make a lot of money. If it goes up to a dollar, look out. But uh, you know, currently right now, UFO is one of those tokens where uh, it's a gaming token in the metaverse, trading at point zero 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 two one six. You know, so just like uh, some of the dog coins and things out there, whatnot. But you know, UFO has uh, has a real. Use case, it's going to be used in the metaverse, used in gaming, and uh, we're ready to be abducted, folks. So come on, UFO. Another one that we've talked about a lot, we talked about this with Brandon when he was on the show, too, and that is Verocity VRA. And uh, right now it's trading uh, just under four cents, 0.037. You know, and that was another one that we're just loading up bags and, uh, you know, ready for for that moonshot or what they like to call the God candle. So we'll see what happens there, folks. You know, again, uh, when it comes to the metaverse, you know, I like some solid investments and uh, ones like that are, you know, I think Decentraland is going to play a big part in that. And uh, same thing with the Sandbox. Now, the Sandbox, I've been actually using a new service that is actually very, very unique. If you've ever used Acorns, it's like Acorns. It's called roundlyx roundly X. And uh, it's a service that can connect to, you know, let's say your debit card, and you spend three dollars and fifty cents on something. It will round that thing up to four dollars, and then every time you get to eleven dollars, it makes an automatic buy into a digital asset of your choice. It will connect to uh, different exchanges. So I actually connected it to the Gemini exchange, and uh, every time I get eleven dollars, it just automatically buys, you know, sand for me, and that is a sand, the sandbox. You, know, you see uh the Voss twins are very you know involved in kind of pumping that up and you know getting more people to uh you know come to that metaverse and check it out now it's not necessarily built out yet you can't get on there and run around and play but you know it's uh it's getting serious and uh right now it's has a pretty healthy correction as well it was all the way up to close to eight dollars now we're down uh down around five dollars or so and same thing we're seeing with the central land now the central land took a nice uh you know, nice healthy correction too. We're under four dollars, but you know, we started getting into those around you know that dollar fifty, two dollar mark, and uh, we're just accumulating. So you know, I wasn't necessarily buying the top when we are all the way up there, but you know, now that we're taking this healthy correction, we've really uh, been loading up some bags there as well, and uh, looking forward to it. You know, I'm definitely a a believer in the space that the metaverse will be. You know, I'm not necessarily someone who is going to be putting on the headset, be putting on the gloves and jumping in there. And I'm definitely going to, you know, go test drive things, check it out, things of that nature. You know, before I put any of my money into any of this, you know, I did some research like we always talk about, went to the platform, checked it out, had an avatar, ran around, went to a bar, went to a house party. And all I had to do was connect my wallet. You know, I didn't have to show them a picture of my face, give them my social security number, you know, take a picture of my dog or, you know all that. So anyways, looking forward to the future there. You know, we're definitely seeing on the daily more things come out about the future and the metaverse. You know, just recently we had Bill Gates was coming out. Now, I know some people may not be a fan of Bill Gates, but hey, end of the day, look what Microsoft is, the things that this guy has been involved with and you know, he said in the next 3 years every digital meeting will be in the metaverse. So you got Facebook changing a name to Meta. Now you got, you know, Bill Gates, Microsoft talking about every digital meeting is going to be taking place in the metaverse. And uh, I guarantee you, though, the metaverse e-gaming, gaming, uh, there's already like a metaverse poker poker uh, poker match you can go to. Different things like that are becoming more and more real. And, uh, you know, I'm going to be here for it. I'm gonna be invested in it, but I'm also going to be learning it because when I have kids one day, that's going to be normal to them. And I want to make sure that I understand it. I'm relevant. So, you know, I'm not getting left behind or I'm not letting them get taken advantage of or myself, taken advantage of, and, uh, you know, can be a, an older adult at that time with uh, some wisdom and not just, you know, somebody, uh, stuck outside in the cold. So anyways, and next up, I just want to talk a little bit about Luna. Now, Luna is taking a very healthy correction. Now, we saw all-time highs at about $78. And right now, we're under 60 bucks. But I wanted to bring this up because last week, if you listen to the show, episode 20, we sat down with Jason Spatafora, the Wolf of Weed Street. Now, Jason is a you know really a professional trader. He has a great company, True Trading Group. And uh, you know, he's made a lot of people a lot of money. And you know one thing that I always like to talk about is when you have your views challenged and you need to lean in and listen a little bit more now I've never considered myself a trader by any means but you know he talked about being more active in your investments and uh, I asked him a couple different questions and whatnot but one of those being was his 80 20 rule and he was talking about when you get up a hundred percent on an investment I mean you can sell 50% of it and now you have a free trade and uh, for example with Luna you know I'm up I was up well over a hundred percent and uh, you know I never was one of those people that wanted to sell you know I'm part of that hodl culture and whatnot and uh, you know I've been buying Luna 15 25 30 35 40 and I was I'm really believing in it and you know and it kept going as I'm like accumulating accumulating and uh, so you know, hey, I had my views challenged, and I wanted to enact action. I wanted to try something out, and uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying we need to go start trading and whatnot, or you know, I'm really not giving financial advice, but just wanted to, you know, let everyone know that I took his, and uh, I actually sold, you know, some of my Luna, and then with the strategy of buying back that same position, and then using those profits for something else. And now, so what did I do? I didn't go and sell a bunch of it. I didn't sell 20% of my position exactly like Jason you know, had talked about, but you know, I used what he told me and to make it real, I enacted it. Now, there's a lot of times we will talk about things, think about things, but they're not real until you actually do them, put them to work. And uh, so I went ahead and sold some of my Luna, at around $73 or so, and then uh, just sat back and waited and, uh, went ahead and actually bought that position back and, uh, you know, made some money and it actually kept going down. So, (laughs) but, uh, you know, that being said though, made some money there, you know, I have some extra cash and, uh, went ahead and, you know, put that money into USDC on Voyager where I will earn a yield for it, you know, 9%, actually about 10% yield. And, uh, yeah. So, I mean, just to, uh, just to look at it there. So what did I do? I sold some of my Luna, and then waited, and then bought back the same position, and then kept those profits. So I'm not saying everybody should go out there and do it, but you know, try something. If you want to try something new, um, you know, have some conviction, have some poise, because you know what could happen. Exactly what happened to me. Like you could you could sell some of it, and it could shoot up, and then now what are you going gonna to buy back the same? You know, you're going to spend more to buy your position back, or you could sell some of it. You know, it goes down. Buy back your same position and then it just keeps going down. That's what happened to me. But again, everything I'm seeing on Twitter, what I'm seeing from Brandon, our friend that came on the show, who is a huge Luna bull. You know, he talked about this pullback coming and you know, he's accumulating, he's buying that dip. And, you know, that's what we're doing over here as well. And we're getting ready to land on the moon, baby. So buckle up. Stash. And next up here on the traffic report, we just wanted to give a little update. On the discussion we had last week with the Wolf of Weed Street himself, Jason Spadafora. Now, I highly recommend going and checking out that episode if you have not listened to it yet. Episode 19. And uh, we got really deep into safe banking, into the National Defense Authorization Act that just got signed into law. And unfortunately, the Democrats in the Senate, Senator Chuck Schumer, Cory Booker, Senator Wyden, they blocked it. They blocked safe banking from making it into the National Defense Authorization Act, which just got signed into law for about the sixty-somethingth year in a row. Now, this is always a bipartisan bill that essentially funds our entire government for a year, and uh, yeah, they were able to uh, block it and get it taken out. And uh, I mean, safe banking again. You know, this is something that would allow these dispensaries to have their money, not all in cash, be able to put it into banks. And you know I'm not saying it's gonna shut down all crime, but you know for example, out in California, I mean there's huge robberies, people trying to rob dispensaries and in other states too all the time. And uh, it's sad to see. I mean uh, it, what it also does too, you know, let's say even if, let's say you're a minority or just anybody, but you know, it actually affects minorities more than anything. Uh, if you wanted to get a loan out, from a bank to uh, start a business or start a cannabis business, you can't do it. And so safe banking is going to, you know, help with a lot of these things. And I just hate seeing the messaging around it and uh, how people try to say that, you know, including safe banking in the NDAA was a bad thing, you know, because end of the day, you know, there's so much money laundry going on, different things of that nature and safe banking helps that. And it also helps secure all of this cash that is just sitting You know, in safes and vaults and whatnot in these dispensaries or, you know, wherever people have to, you know, really put this money. But uh, another thing we talked a lot about last week too was 280E. And now, what is that? You know, with some of these multi state operators and these companies, you know, they can't write off certain expenses the way a normal business can. So let's say that's an extra 30%. So they're essentially paying an additional 30% in taxes on top of the huge taxes they already pay. So I mean there's some multi-state operators that are paying 60, 70, 80% in taxes that they that other business necessarily wouldn't have to pay. So it's just very, you know, unfair really when you look at it. It's very uh, unhealthy too for business cuz you know cannabis is one of the largest growing job creators in the country right now and it goes across so many different industries and in so many different fields. You know, like I've talked about many times on here, when I was out at Dabbergrass Farms in Oklahoma, you could really see, you know, how these operations can develop and grow and all the people involved, how the small businesses are involved, how the towns are involved, how it supports so many different things. And I'm not talking about some huge corporation that was out there. These were, you know, essentially normal people coming together and uh, creating this incredible, incredible process, incredible operation. And, uh, you know, it wasn't just one or two people calling the shots. It was a lot of people involved in this that had to work together, come together, you know, different races, different nationalities, you know, lots of people from all different parts of the country, you know, a lot of immigrants as well. So it was very cool to see. And then that also supported, you know, that local economy, too, when it came to the infrastructure it took, the machinery it took, the different lights, the different warehouses, the real estate. So it's a this is a big thing, folks. It's still this is still in this infancy as well. But, uh, you know, as we continue to go on, I mean, the National Defense Authorization Act was about a nine hundred billion dollar bill. And, uh, you know, they could have uh, kept safe banking in there like it was in the bill and then they they took it out, you know, and it was taken out by the Senate Democrats. Now, this was a bipartisan in the House. This has passed the House over six times, seven times now. And uh, routinely gets blocked in the Senate, you know, by you know both ruling parties, right? This used to get blocked by Republicans, and now it's getting blocked by Democrats. Uh, but you know what is so toxic toxic about it is the same Democrats that ran, that won those seats, that won the White House. You know, they campaigned on decriminalization. They campaigned on safe banking. They campaigned on getting people out of jail, and uh, now here we are. And uh, they had an opportunity to once again do this through a bipartisan uh, way, bipartisan bill that would have helped a lot of this um, and definitely moved the needle in the right direction. And uh, it was blocked by those same people that you know advocate for it, but uh, you know just continue to string us along. And I think a lot of you know younger people, younger investors, and uh, you know even younger advocates, you know as well, are starting to catch on to this. And uh, you know I think enough's enough. I think it's time that you know. We are going to start holding people more and more accountable for this. And I'm excited to see what happens in the midterm elections, you know, after uh, seeing this go down again. Because, like we always say, I brought this up many times. Right now, the current administration is denying public housing. Yes, they are denying public housing to cannabis patients in legal states who are prescribed by a doctor for whatever ailment they're using. So if they, Need public housing, but they're prescribed to pain pills. Oh, no, no big deal. But if they need public housing and they are prescribed to, you know, a cannabis tincture or a cannabis ointment, or maybe, you know, smoking some cannabis flour, they're being denied, they're being removed from their homes. That's ridiculous. And now, that being said, too, when we talk about our troops, when we talk about the VA, These soldiers that are coming home from Afghanistan right now, you know, a bit of a younger generation, you know, a younger generation that might not want to take pain pills, might not want to take antidepressants, might not want to take, you know, anti-anxiety medicine. They may want to take plant-derived alternatives for their ailments. Maybe that is pain management. You know, maybe that is for their PSD, PTSD. And if they fail a drug test, they are going to de- be denied their benefits from the VA. And like we talked about last week with Jason, we would love to see everyone in the Senate or the House of Representatives be tested randomly for cannabis tomorrow, and we might see 30% of Congress fail. Now, how, how would they like that, right? I mean, it's, it, it blows my mind that those people will sit in there and be okay with that, being denying our veterans the right to use plant-derived alternatives for their ailments, if that is what they choose, if they live in a legal state and prescribed by a doctor, but then if they fail a test at the VA, goodbye benefits. That is ridiculous. That is wrong. And that needs to be changed. And we just keep getting strung along by these people. And it, it's, I'm just ready to hold more people accountable. You know, Like I say, I have no affiliations, left, right, center, whatever. You know, I like speaking truth to power and this is real. And these are people's lives. And this is medicine that helps people deal with different things in their life. Now, we just wanted to uh, share a little bit from this opinion piece in the Rolling Stones about terpenes. And one of those things that I like to bring up is, you know, any dispensary you go to, or sometimes when you are talking to someone who, you know, maybe cannabis curious, or they may be a patient, or, you know, they just might be a rec user is they're going to go into a dispensary and they're going to potentially ask, or they're going to be marketed to, you know, these high percentage THCs as if, you know, that is the only thing, you know, driving the industry, or that is the only thing that matters. When, you know in reality it is pretty misguided right so just to uh, pull a couple things you know from this article is the craziest part about the latest trend it's a little misguided in fact some critics go as far as calling the industry's craving for marijuana's most popular cannabinoid a fallacy scientists at the university of colorado boulder documented the experiences of 121 cannabis users last year. Nearly half preferred cannabis flower over concentrates and the other half liked concentrates better than flower. This study gave flower users a strain at either 16% or 24% THC to smoke, while extract users ingested concentrates at either 70% or 90% THC. The study found participants' self-reported intoxication levels were all about the same. Now, think about that. The first question most U.S. dispensary owners get from new customers walking through their doors usually has something to do with the percentage of THC in their weed. It's been all the rage in 2021. Based on conversations I've heard from leaders in the space Flowers on the shelves can fetch more money at 25% THC than flowers at 20% or less THC. Legal marijuana stores are upping the ante with plants reaching up to 30% THC. Now, like we were saying, this is a little misguided based off of some of these research projects when more people should be talking about terpenes. Now, what are terpenes? Terpenes are Aromic compounds that give many plants and herbs their smell. On the other hand, cannabinoids are naturally occurring compounds specific to cannabis, but not all marijuana flower has the same cannabinoid and terpene profiles. In fact, variations of the compounds give different strains their unique smell and taste. Together, the combination of THC, along with the popular cannabinoids like CBD. In terpenes is largely associated with producing what's called the entourage effect. The main hypothesis around this, as outlined by Healthline, is that terpenes work in tandem with the cannabinoid content to produce the effects people associate with different strains. Now, that being said, when you hear that, it's not about the level of the THC percentage as much as it is about The cannabinoid structure of the strain with the terpenes now every terpene has a distinctive scent and flavor that impacts the experience a customer has brand leaders need to prioritize better understanding their products and identify how they can educate customers on a given product especially when it comes to terpenes now we've joked about this before and talked about, I only speak Terpenese and different things of that nature. And that's where this comes into play. Now, just to dive into the five most common terpenes, Myrcene is what is said to be the rock star of the terpene world. It produces a spicy herbal flavor beyond cannabis. Myrcene is in thyme, cardamom, hop, and plenty of other plants. And then limonene, probably the second most popular terpene, produces a citrus-like aroma. The name of a strain, like lemon skunk and super lemon haze, for example, usually tells whether a flower has a high limonene count. And then we have pinene is the most commonly found in nature. Pineneals, rosemary, basil, parsley, among some, just to uh, name a few. Uh, Lena Lou has a pleasant-smelling lavender hint to it. And then there's a spicy-scented humulene which features strong antibacterial properties that protect the cannabis plant from unwanted bacteria and fungi while growing. Now, just wanted to get into that a little bit. You can check out this article too. It's an opinion piece, again, in the Rolling Stones, why I think cannabis leaders should be talking more about terpenes. And this is something we will continue to talk about a little bit too. We are going to have our friend Andrew Morris back on from Buckeye Relief in Columbus, Ohio, and we are going to be speaking Turpanese. So now the next story I wanted to share here on the traffic report. Now, I found this on the Blacklist XYZ, an incredible account to follow on Instagram. You know, if you are really into the cannabis industry, cannabis culture, and you want to know about active stories going on all over the United States you know this account does a great job at presenting the facts and uh, you know also sharing some opinions and details into these stories as well but one of these is you can now get paid to exercise while high on cannabis in the name of science now i uh, dove in this a little bit more they're doing this at university of colorado boulder and uh, just to speak on this a bit so for those with an interest in staying as high as their heart rate A new study is offering to pay people to combine exercise with smoking marijuana. Researchers at University Colorado Boulder are recruiting people who regularly use cannabis concurrently with exercise to see how weed impacts working out. Now, if you've ever seen Ricky Williams, for example, he has a strain and he is a cannabis user who you know, has always mixed it in with exercise as well. You know, I'm a former athlete, played in the NFL, played college football, you know, and I can uh, attest to that too. You know, I've definitely been around, you know, cannabis users who would use it before working out and have incredible workouts and, you know, use it after working out too, to help recover pain management and just to uh, continue on with, you know, how they got to eat, how much they have to eat, different things of that nature as well. But just to uh, look back here at this. So, on the college's website it explains that they are looking for subjects that are male between 21 and 40 years old and females within the age of 21 and 40. Those who take part in the study can earn up to $100 but they must live in Boulder area of they must live in the Boulder area of Colorado where cannabis has been legal for medical and recreational use since 2012. The callout explains that the reason for the study is to find the potential harms and benefits of doing exercises such as running while high on cannabis. It states, we want to understand how varying levels of cannabinoids like THC and CBD can impact factors associated with regular exercise, such as enjoyment, motivation, and pain. The project is known as SPACE, which stands for Study of Physical Activity and Cannabis Effects. Participants will have to meet with researchers three times in total. The first meeting will include completion of a baseline survey as well as a brief run on a treadmill. For the second and third meetings, a mobile lab that will come to pick you up and drive you to their facilities in Boulder. The website explains that these meetings will both involve questionnaires and a 30-minute run on a treadmill. We will also draw your blood. Before these meetings, participants are required to use cannabis. So, hey, I love to see it. You know, we've talked about this before as well. You know, once cannabis is decriminalized and moved from a level one to, uh, you know, say a level two on a federal level and, uh, you know, helps end this cannabis prohibition. I mean, we can even allocate, you know, different funds and research and whatnot and, uh, you know, really find out as much as we want about this, you know, incredible This incredible medicine, this incredible plant that has so many different use cases. And I'm just excited to see it. And uh, it's always funny to see, uh, you know, things that certain people probably already know. There's probably already great research out there, maybe from other countries too. But, uh, you know, the way we usually operate around here, you know, it's not fact until, you know, the US government uh, gets their hands in it. And then, then it's okay to say, you know, what is and what isn't. But hey, I can tell you from personal experience and from lots of other people that, you know, it's, I, I think it would go from person to person. You know, sometimes people will associate, you know, the time they ate a brownie for the first time with, uh, associate that with, oh, I could never do that and then work out. And it's like, all right, well, that's not really what they're getting at either. You know, this is, uh, this is another great uh, study. It's going to be a great use case. And, you know, i can assure you this is going to be some great data to uh, look at for uh, years to come and uh, there's gonna be a lot more studies like this coming out more and more so love to see it and uh, looking forward to the future <laughs> and next up here on the culture report we are going to talk about ai and the future face of robotics now i'm not sure if y'all have seen it yet folks but if you go on google or go on Twitter. And you look up engineereddarts.co.uk, there are some intense robots out, folks. And I'm not talking about, you know, a little lawnmower or maybe your little robot that sweeps up the floor for you. But I'm talking about a full-fledged AI humanoid robot. Its name is Amika, and it's looking straight out of iRobot. These videos are incredible. You know, I had to watch it. 10 20 times to make sure it was real if it wasn't cgi and uh, it's pretty remarkable and uh, that being said you know we're gonna have the links in the show notes as well but uh pretty crazy folks i mean the way the facial expressions and whatnot how this thing is learning and how it is learning human emotion how to how to act you know and express emotion you know, this is something we've talked about before. Now, AI is taking in how we treat it, it's taking in how we do things. And, uh, you know, I think it's important that we teach our kids to also treat AI with respect, because these things are going to be, they're going to be integrated into our lives. And I think it's going to happen a lot faster than people may give it credit for, or that people may want. Now, I'm not like advocating for any of this to happen. I'm just stating and relating and being open to it because it's going to happen. Right. So I can, I can fight it all I want. I can be mad about it and shut off to it, or I can accept that I know this is going to happen because I'm watching it right in front of me right now. I'm watching it happen. You know, I can look at my phone and I can tell how that phone has become an extension of who I am, you know, with what's on that phone, what I do on that phone you know, it is essentially a part of us, you know, you're not going anywhere without it. And uh, you really need it to be a, to an extent, I mean, I'm not saying you need it all the time, but to be a productive member of our society these days, you're like, I can't just not have my phone. Like, it's just, I can't. So that being said, when you look at these AI robots and you think about the future and you think about, you know, how we have this this workers shortage, right? Or sometimes when I think about it, I I don't know. I mean, there's a lot of different information coming out, different things you can look at, you can take in, and come to your own conclusions. But for for example, you know, when I hear about a worker shortage or people not going back to wanting to work at restaurants, or you know, even how we have these new mandates on truck drivers and the vaccines, things like that. You know, some of these robots are going to be able to take those jobs one day and that's a fact i mean uh and that that being said too you know tesla you know they just introduced their tesla bot that they say can help solve labor shortages and uh you know that's real and that's something that uh i think we need to be aware of i think it's something we need to learn more about cuz one day you know when you think about uh, i don't know if anyone's worked in The medical field, but there's already, you know, assisted surgeries with AI and with robots. Now, uh, when you think about the levels to the medical field, too, there are some very, you know, high risky jobs when it comes to that as well, too. When you think about the decontamination zone and jobs like that, or if you look at retirement facilities, or if you look at different just jobs that people usually Aren't the biggest one, or you know, aren't super willing to go do uh, these jobs can be can be streamlined. I mean, these jobs can be automated. These jobs can have uh, can have these robots working them. I mean, fast food jobs, bartenders, waiters, and waitresses. Now, I'm again, I'm not advocating for any of that, but it's real. So, go check out these videos again. That is the Amica robot. I believe I'm saying that right, A M E C A. And uh, that is by the engineered arts. And you know, these robots right now are for sale or for rent. And again, these are fully expressive robots and uh, they're learning. And uh, just to give you an example so, a platform of the future, Amica is the world's most advanced human shaped robot representing the forefront of human robotic technology, designed specifically as a platform for development into the future of robotics technologies. Amica is the perfect humanoid robot platform for human robot interaction. We focus on bringing you innovative technologies which are reliable, upgradable, and easy to develop upon. And uh, the AI times AB human-like artificial intelligence needs a human-like artificial body. Artificial intelligence. And machine learning systems can be tested and developed by Amica alongside our powerful Tritanium robot operating system. The Amica hardware is a development based on our own research into humanoid robots and built on our advanced Mesmer technology. Now, they have one called the Show-Off. As well as a development platform, Amica is also a great attraction. Just like our Mesmer and our Robo-Tespian robots While your customers or visitors at an event or visitor attraction. Reliability is key, and all our robots are built to last in action in the real world, not just in the lab. The modular architecture allows for future upgrades, both physically and software, to enhance Amika's abilities, all without having to fork out an entire new robot. Amika is available for purchase or for event rental pretty, uh, pretty scary stuff. (laughs) But at the same time, these are one of those things where I think we need to learn more about it and we need to educate ourselves about it. So we are not taken advantage of, or so we don't lose all of our jobs. And that's real folks. So do with the information as you want, but I highly recommend going and checking it out. You know, Elon Musk now has stepped into this realm with the Tesla bots. And uh, that being said, the Tesla bots with the autopilot and full self driving, I think we are creating the most advanced, practical AI for navigating the real world. And you can also think of Tesla as the world's biggest robot company or semi sentiment robot company. The car is like a robot on four wheels. We can probably take the same technology and put it in a humanoid robot and have that robot robot be useful essentially to have the humanoid part we need to develop some custom actuators and sensors and essentially use the tesla full self driving and autopilot or generally speaking real world navigation ai in the humanoid robot it has the potential to be a general substitute for human labor over time the foundation of the economy is labor Capital equipment is essentially distilled labor. I asked a friend of mine, what should we optimize for? And he said, gross profit per employee. Fully considered. So you go out to include the supply chain in that. The fundamental constraint is labor. There are not enough people. I can't emphasize this enough. There are not enough people. I think one of the biggest risks to civilization is the low and rapidly declining birth rate. I think this is I think this can be quite profound. I don't know exactly when we can get this right, but we will get it right. And that was straight from Elon Musk, and uh, pretty pretty wild stuff. Uh, You know, people are going to have their own uh, opinions about Elon. Now, Elon, like he said in there, he brought up the declining birth rate along that's going on in the world, and that's that's real. You know, the there are not enough people being born to outpace the number of people that are passing away. And also that's another thing where a lot of young people, you know, are taking their own lives and they are, you know, dying from different drug overdoses and whatnot as well. You know, and that is another thing that, you know, we like to speak truth to because that is something that cannabis and, uh, you know, medicinal cannabis and whatnot, you know, that's something that it combats directly when you talk about opioids and fentanyl and uh, you know, what even happened with, you know, the Purdue Pharma family and how they essentially, you know, lied to everyone, the U S government lied to everyone and said that Oxycontin weren't, uh, addicted. And then, you know, generation, entire generation got addicted to Oxycontin or dropping like flies. So, you know, that's just something else just wanted to uh, bring up there. But like we always say, change isn't coming, my friends, it's here and it's our jobs to educate ourselves To contribute and to seize on this opportunity. Now, I'm not advocating again for AI and robots to take over the world. I'm not advocating for everyone to just go get stuck in the metaverse, but I am advocating for educating yourself, for coming together, for putting yourself in someone else's shoes, to consume things that you may not agree with, to lean in when you don't understand, to not be afraid to speak truth to power and come together stash it and that's a wrap folks thank you so much for being here with us on the stash it or pass it podcast i'm your host jeff shugarts and like i always say don't forget to check those show notes we got a new book coming out letters to the universe by the love of my life kelsey aida you can grab that it's going to be on shelves january 13th but go ahead and grab a pre-order you can order it on simon and schuster you can find it on amazon but it's going to be in barnes and noble as well but the more pre-orders we get the more books barnes and Noble's gotta buy baby so go on grab your copy today and we'll see you next week thank you so much my friends stash it